Welcome, one and all, to another episode of Left Turn Canada. Andy Burkowski, Christo Avalise here. And Christo, I think one of the biggest things that happened outside of the, the horrible impact of COVID and the pandemic of this last two years was the Great Resignation. This idea that finally workers would have, you know, some leg to stand on, some sense of dignity and not be forced into working situations that were unsafe or unfair. Now, obviously, that wasn't the case for everyone. But I remember one of the biggest conservative conceits during the beginning of this was, you know, what will this all lead to? That's just, you know, people not working. It's going to ruin the economy. What's it going to lead to? And I think this week we kind of saw something that was a byproduct of perhaps a greater change in a relationship that's been uh, screwing over workers for so long. Amazon, uh, a labor union. Th- this is this is big news, right, Chris? So even though it's not happening right here in Canada, this is a big deal. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, you know, we like to keep it Canadian focused here, but I think this is something we really do need to kind of at least acknowledge. First of all, congratulations to all those workers, to Kristen Smalls, who was the uh, the leader of that effort, but also to the, I'm sure, hundreds, if not thousands of people that all played uh, their parts big and small and in between to make that happen. Uh, basically, in New York, uh, there's the first, I don't know if it's worldwide, but it's certainly in North America, the first unionized Amazon workers they you organized you know like a a, a multi-thousand person facility just a, you know a massive deal uh and of course it intersects with race and class smalls was fired there were leaked memos yeah, from Amazon yeah. saying let's make him the face of this because he's not very articulate uh, and of course, you can almost guess by that that uh, Mr. Smalls is a young African American man yeah. um, who uh, you know led this movement um, and 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 really brought in uh, this this fantastic effort. Mm-hmm. And I think it's so critical because I mean we spent a lot of time, uh, especially earlier on in the podcast, talking about uh, workers and COVID and how. You know, logistics workers in particular were some of the hardest hit. How yeah. places like Brampton in Canada, which are really the shipping centers of the entire country in so many ways, where Amazon and, and other big companies have a lot of shipping facilities, workers there were getting sick and dying at very high rates. Um, and, you know, whether it's COVID or whether it's existing issues like, you know, bathrooms and, and overwork and, and, and lack of transparency you know, workers formed a union at Amazon. And I think that, you know, we've seen a few things. One, this this, this hand-wringing about, oh, you know, we're not going to get anybody to work anymore. Well, if you look in, 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 in many places, unemployment levels are quite low now, right? The reality is that people can't find workers, not so much because people are lazy, because for the most part, most pandemic supports are gone. And in, in the United States, they've been gone in many places for just for 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 more than half, uh, uh, more than uh, COVID's been around, more than half of COVID's been around, right? Like, yeah, they had it for uh, like two weeks, basically. Yeah, in, in some, some places, places yeah, in some red states, they canceled federal benefits, yeah, you know, quite early. Um, and so the fact of the matter is, uh, you know, unemployment is low because you know uh, lots of people are working. Almost everyone is working right now. Um, and the fact of the matter is that. Uh, you know, one of the concerns I had, not so much that I wanted people to stay at their jobs, of course, if they want to quit and they have better opportunities, 
workers, uh, you know, should seize those opportunities for themselves and for their families. But, you know, it kind of fed this narrative. Well, if you don't like your job, quit. If you don't like Mm -hmm. it, you can quit. Like, you know, that that's like, those are your choices. You either put up with the bullshit of your boss, you put up with the bullshit of the corporation or you quit. And, you know, this er the earlier part of COVID was relatively unique in our lifetimes of being a time where workers could, in some cases, meaningfully act upon that, that Mm -hmm. there were enough jobs available that workers could say this job sucks. I'm out. Right. Mm -hmm. But I still always thought, you know, we I want to see workers you know, also work to improve their workplaces, that the act of quitting um, is maybe more individualistic. And again, that's not that's not a blanket criticism, but it's like I'm quitting or maybe even me and my coworkers, we're all going to just decide to quit, you know, the shift of McDonald's because it's bullshit how we're being treated. Um, that's a collective act. But then you all just go off and get different jobs. Right. Yeah. Like and you, you may never you may never talk to each other again. Um unionizing i think is is much more impactful uh, and has a much greater effect on the entire workplace and on the wider economy and so whether it's uh you know these these new amazon union this new amazon union or whether we see i think it's upwards of like 10 new starbucks unions in the united states starbucks unions all over the country including at least one in the south where there's almost no unions period Mm-hmm. Um, is a massive deal, and they're, the capital's freaking the fuck out right now, <laughs> right? You had Howard Schultz, a uh, billionaire asshole, who's like the was the CEO. wanted to be president, yeah. didn't work yeah. out, right? He, was he, run, he thought it'd he, be a good well, idea. Well, he said, "I'm going to run for president, and I'm only going to run, but I'm going to run third party if Bernie or <laughs> yeah. Warren wins the Democratic nomination, because like I we can't have either of them become president." Uh, you know, that was his like argument all the way back in early 2019. Um, but you know, he called, uh, you know, uh, unions, like they were like assaulting capitalist workplaces. And in a sense, I mean, sort of right. But it's like this idea that, you know, like they're, they're referring to it as assault and they're, they're, they're freaking out. They're spending millions on union busting firms. And yeah. they're clearly, at least in Starbucks case and Amazon's case, not getting their money's worth. Um, yeah, it's great it, to see. It's hard when a billionaire is trying to tell you that, too. Like, I think finally those sort of messaging because of the last economic and you know social year we've had has affected so many people in North America that when Howard Schultz does say, you know, workers at Starbucks are being assaulted by the threat of unionization, it rings like even more hollow than it did before. Yeah, 100%. 100%. So, I mean, the, the, the fact is, I think it's been great to see you know, the quit lit, you know, literature of yeah. people quitting. It's great to see. Some people are like, oh, a lot of it's fake. I don't, I don't give, I don't care. I don't yeah. care. I love reading it where workers are bosses shitty to them. But this is all together, I think, much more impactful. And again, like I'm not saying like don't quit your job if you have a better opportunity if your boss is shit. But like seeing the union scare work capital a lot more. Mm-hmm. Right? They don't like when workers quit, of course. They don't like that because it, you know, costs them money and then you'll probably end up having to hire someone new and maybe have to pay them more than the existing workers, blah, blah, blah. But this is a big deal. And yeah. so, you know, I hope we see 
this spur more Amazon organizing in the U.S. and especially here in Canada. Um, you know, we really do need to make a concerted effort to unionize Amazon workers here in Ontario uh, because fundamentally um, the same issues exist, yeah. right? Like the same issues exist at Amazon, um, you know, whether it's overwork, whether it's a lack of dignity, whether it's, um, you know, a stifling culture, whether again, it's like you can't go to the, I'm, I'm sure there's pee bottles at Canadian <laughs> Amazon too, right? Yeah. Um, you know, uh, let, so let's, let's hope this is the start of something big. Of course, mm -hmm. that fight's not over. They shouldn't be complacent because they still have to negotiate their first contract. Amazon's definitely going to pull some fuckery over this, <laughs> but, um, this is a massive win. It's one of the biggest union stories in a long, long time. Mm -hmm. And like you it. said, the, those union stories, they stick around a lot longer than even people, rightly so, you know, quitting their jobs because it's horrible. But like you said, that core collective doesn't necessarily go and work together at a new place that's better. They find different things as individualistic. You know, one of the most interesting takes that I've heard from this that I think will really speak to our audiences is how many people have taken this union push and then said, you know, it's important that every Amazon is like this. But yeah. also, chances are, if you're you're listening to us speak right now, there's a good chance that you don't work in a unionized office or workplace, you know, yeah. especially in the private sector. It doesn't have to be working customer service, manufacturing, retail in those ways. Like unionization can help every single workplace in different ways. And there's there's many ways that you can get perhaps an easier fight with, a, you know, a couple dozen versus thousands of people fighting, you know, a, a mega corporation like Amazon. So, yeah, if you're hearing this and, and you're not uh, working in a place that had his unionization, there's incredible tools that are available uh, that you can access here in Canada that can try to put your workplace uh, in that trajectory. Uh, Christo and I, we work right in front of our computers for ourselves. So that's, you know, not what we're experiencing here. But Although I, there I have know. been efforts to unionize yeah. YouTubers. It's, it's that's like that's a whole nother discussion. I yeah. don't even the legality of, of, of that is, 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 is complicated. But the fact is, is that, yes, um, you know, uh, one of the arguments we've often had is like, you know, people need good jobs. And, you know, that's in part, you, you know, we, we unions are not just a element, but probably the the most essential element in in making a job a good job in many cases. So, mm -hmm. so if you want everyone to have good jobs, then we need to have, you know, a much greater proportion of them be unionized. Uh, you know, that's that's mm -hmm. the single biggest thing we can do. Uh, and so this is a big this is a big win uh, as a massive win for the labor movement to see Amazon yeah. unionized. And I guess the the thing that is that we'll have to look on is if this does uh, translate to more unionization here in Canada, because I do know within the United States, these efforts do gain momentum and then sometimes collapse despite all the effort. Like in Alabama, I know there's that big push, but I, I'm wondering if of you course, know, that, across that borders. vote failed, though, right? You yeah, I mean? like, yeah, that's exactly. I, I, mm -hmm. I don't know if they've had the reattempt yet. There were there were issues there. With the, the labor board noted that 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 there were there were many issues with that vote, but you know that's a, a different context too. Um, mm -hmm. Not to say the South can't be organized, but there's much more of a union culture in New York State. But but you're but you know there will be momentum from this. Again, the one it, it took 
how long for one Starbucks to unionize? Mm, and yeah. you've seen in the in the in the um, very quick succession, I believe at least nine more Starbucks have unionized, mm-hmm. um, and that's a clear sign that that workers uh, respond to good examples. And I mean, Amazon's more complex. Uh, Starbucks stores often maybe only have you know a few dozen, maybe a, you know a hundred employees in a in a store. Uh, whereas many Amazon facilities might be thousands, mm-hmm. uh, and so the 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 time and and effort and money and all of that that needs to be spent to effectively organize an Amazon is different than a Starbucks. But you know the inverse is that one one organizing win brings thousands of workers into a union overnight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do think, and correct me if I'm wrong, that there has been a push in BC in particular at a couple of different Starbuckses after the success in the United States yeah. to unionize. I'm not. I'm looking now. I'm not sure what has been the result of those. I think they're still working on it in, in many different cases. I believe there was cases. a failed Starbucks yeah. drive out west, but years ago there were some successful organizing of, uh, of cooperative co- coffee stores in eastern Canada. Uh, mm. Co-ops ostensibly run as cooperatives, uh, but in fact, the cooperatives were really just a group of owners, and the workers were just regular workers. But the uh, the workers were largely young and progressive, and so was the clientele. And you know, the the nature of the coffee shop was like you know it's fair trade and ethical and all this. And I think you know the workers sought upon themselves to live that principle and form unions and there were multiple coffee shops organized there but it's not through it you know it's not second cup and things like that and of course mm-hmm. there are some Starbucks and Tim Hortons workers unionized uh indirectly because they work for a you know food services uh, that run say things at malls and airports in some cases where they are unionized and you know they run the the Tim Hortons and the and the Starbucks and all of the shops, but there there aren't very many examples of fast food unions in Canada, mm-hmm. uh, and and in some ways we we have like the the U.S. again they they lag behind Canada in most union met- metrics. Union density mm-hmm. in Canada is significantly higher, but you know they've scored some big victories in 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 recent months, and you know now it's maybe our turn to to try and match them. <laughs> Do you, do you think that we could see, because we do see these waves, right? These, these changes one, one of getting, the collective I'm getting, I'm getting, consciousness. I'm getting uh, expert, uh, expert context from uh, my wife and uh, great oh. steelworker activist, Brianna Broderick, would you say, Bree? <laughs> Let's hear it. Let's hear it. Yeah, so Bree, Bree says there are Tim Hortons workers that are unionized, and there was oh. a recent Starbucks victory, apparently. Um, but uh, we need to see more of it. We mm-hmm. need to see more of it. And um, the fact of the matter is uh, we can't let the Yanks beat us on this. <laughs> well, I was going to say, like, do you think and maybe, again, the expertise of your your better half here on this one, that maybe it's it's finally reaching a time. And we see these waves, right, where there is a change in the culture, where things that were progressive all of a sudden just become the norm. The difference with unionization is that it actually has huge impacts on like people's people's rights and like capital do you think that now with everything that's going on that maybe you know canada has even more of a chance to become more unionized we're kind of like reaching that moment do you think that's happening here because we're seeing the united states or what are y'all thoughts i mean brie what do you think do you think that we're gonna see like a new wave of unionization you know with the low unemployment 
workers more agency. What do you think? We await with bated breath. I Let's mean, Bree says no. I mean, oh no! But why, why? Why do you say that, sweetie? Oh no! I mean, one Bree, one argument Bree makes, and I mean, people might disagree, and this is very much going to depend on context. But one of the things she says is that maybe one advantage the United States has, in some cases, is that their if their standards are shittier, the incentive to unionize is greater. Mm. Maybe. Interesting. Uh, right? Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Like, like let's say mm-hmm. a union can get you to 15 bucks an hour and you only make, say, 10 bucks an hour. But mm-hmm. in Canada, you might already be at 13 and you might not effectively be able to no- negotiate yourself above, say, 16. So the union benefit is smaller in a higher minimum standard, uh, you know, uh, standard uh, system. Mm-hmm. Now, yeah, yeah. some labor scholars have argued differently that actually higher standards on aggregate lead to higher unionization rates, or it might be a bit of like horse and cart, you know, chicken and egg. Um, is it that, you know, union uh, uh, unions um, form easier and higher standards uh, yeah. e- economies, or is it that high level unionization rates tend to create a society that makes, you know, more effective demands uh, mm. on on the system for better benefits. But I mean, you know, these are these are things we have to consider. I mean, one factor is that in general, um, you know, the, the you can unionizing isn't so much easier or harder, especially mm. if you compare New York, like they don't have card check. Uh, you know, it, it, yeah. we should be able to do it here. Uh, we should be able to do it here. I mean, one thing that could be done, and I mean, we don't have a lot of NDP governments, but, you know, making it easier for workers to join a union. You know, John Horgan can get off his ass and pass card check, uh, which would make it way easier for workers to form a union. Because, again, one of the critical windows for union busting is, of course, not letting workers even dream of forming a union. But 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 beyond that. Um, you know, it's that window we've talked about this, but that window, yeah. once workers get enough cards signed to trigger a vote, right? Mm-hmm. You got a hundred people in your workplace, you get your 50 cards signed. And then all of a sudden there's a vote in three weeks, a month, whenever it is. Uh, and that, that time is where the employer is going to put all of their resources and pressure to peel off enough people to vote against the union and the card check system that the NDP does support um, and that Bernie Sanders, for example, ran on, I don't know if any other candidates did, would say that once you have enough card signed, say 50, 55%, whatever it is, the union just forms. Yeah. Like that's the union, right? You get enough cards signed, you get a union. Um, and that's not the system we have uh, in, in any, I don't think in, maybe maybe in Quebec, I'm not sure, but uh, it's certainly, I, certainly not in, in, in most provinces. Man, so once again, when we when we deal with things that happen in the United States, there's always a, a unique Canadian flavor when we try to replicate it here. Right? Like there's always something that's just a little bit different, a little bit stranger, and yeah, that's uh, that's why we're talking about it. So, Krista, I wanted to move on. I don't know if you've seen them now, but I am seeing that sometimes yearly, sometimes bi yearly, little. Uh, remembrance if you will of the politicians that we vote for there are some ads going up for provincial elections here in ontario and the first thing i want to discuss is 
Andrew Horvath and the big push that we saw, I think it was within the last week, the the promise of a universal mental health benefit. Uh, if they're saying that if they win on June 2nd, it's going to be a very ambitious $1.15 billion plan starting with a $500 million push right away in the very first year. And I was looking through this and from what we've seen, this seems like a pretty good plan. I haven't seen a lot of of the means testing. Maybe I've missed it. Uh, maybe you found it somewhere in this. It's a little bare bones to start with. But yeah, what, what do you think of this big NDP push so far? I mean, I think it's really good. I think it's yeah. really good. One criticism I think I saw from some people is that there gets a capped amount of visits. And so it's maybe not fully universal, but the system does allow for additional visits to be given to people. But I think, honestly, this is probably one of the best plans to focus on for a few reasons. One, and this is something that, like, I don't think we talk enough about, but, like, good mental health care, one, it, it, mental health is the most neglected form of health yeah, it's in Ontario in and, and probably in, in every jurisdiction in this country and maybe Absolutely everywhere horrific. in the world. Um, but it's... Um, it's the one that has the least amount of good coverage... In mm-hmm. like health plans, right? So I was talking yeah. to, to 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 Brie about this, and you know she works, uh, you know, uh, in the university sector, and generally, uh, you know, and she represents members in the university sector, and they have uh, what you might call, uh, you know, a good health plan, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's better than what most people get, you know, even in other unionized facilities, it might be considered, you know, a good plan, but there's there's not much there for for mental health there's not a great deal there and so when you're looking at appealing to the kind of voter that you need to form a government and pick up seats as the ndp a certain kind of say middle class quote unquote we're not going to get all sociological here like the middle class doesn't exist blah 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 but you know what you know an actual middle income earner decent benefits package hate to say it but some of those people are going to be like, why the fuck would I vote for the NDP? I don't need mm-hmm. dental. I don't need pharma. I already have those things. Fuck the poor. I've got my. <laughs> yeah. I don't need dental. I don't need pharma. I get that stuff from work. And yeah, maybe I got some co-pays here and there, but it's like 99% of the time my benefits cover me because I have a good plan and I don't need that. Right. And I know mm-hmm. that's not everybody, but there's a, there's people like that. With mental health, I actually think that most people, even if they have private plans, you know, uh, probably, you know, don't have good access to those things. I think mm-hmm. it also helps that, like, you know, it's the uh, there there's criticisms about the limited the the means testing of the federal dental plan and and the 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 ambiguity about the federal pharmacare plan that the liberals and the NDP have kind of committed to. But those things at least hypothetically exist. And so if Andrea spends all of her time talking about pharma and dental, and I'm sure she's going to run on those things as well. But if that's all she's running on, people might be like, so you're just going to do what the federal liberals and the NDP are going to do. And that's that's fine, I guess. But like, isn't that already getting done? And like, you know what I mean? So I think focusing on mental health is like, you know, we're going to we're going to fight for pharma, we're going to fight for dental. We support the the efforts by the 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 NDP f- federally that's are pushing the Trudeau government to do that. But our big focus is mental health. And I mean, I think that's a big one. And I think that you know, it, it, it's so important. It's so important. And with COVID, 
mental mm-hmm. health issues became much more uh, intense. And I think that it's um, it's a great investment. And of course, you know, often people are like, they sort of dichotomize. Like mental health is a luxury and, you know, physical health is a necessity. But of course, even if you recognize that that's bullshit, even if you put that aside, um, you know, uh, mental and physical health are, are, are indelibly connected. Mm-hmm. And that poor mental health often leads to negative physical health outcomes. Uh, and so this is likely a good investment. Uh, good mental health is good for... Uh, for uh, all sorts of social and economic systems downstream. So I think this is really good. I think it's yeah. great to see. I think the, uh, the, 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 the launch here was good. Unlike the, uh, provincial liberals, they didn't have a, you know, a crowded indoor event where, uh, all of the prospective, uh, candidates were maskless huffing COVID mm-hmm. around. And even Doug it. Ford doesn't do that. Yeah, like even I mean, yeah. Dougie doesn't make those choices. Yeah, you know, so that's like wild. Andrea, you know, they did the event, what looked to be sort of like in a like, like semi outdoor kind of like almost like a tent, but not really, but everyone was masked regardless. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it was, um, uh, it, it's a good plan. It's a good start to the campaign. I think. Yeah, no, I, and also just to speak anecdotally here, but uh, personally the mental health, um, sector here in Ontario, that's all I can speak to, is not only like woefully underfunded, but in my experience is like dangerously misregulated. So like if you are in a situation right now where you need to go to the hospital for a mental health reason and you need a therapist uh, at CAMH in Toronto. They have policies where not only do you need one attempt of suicide to get immediate access to an intervention specialist, but in the last five years, again, anecdotally, so this stuff might have changed, the requirement was at least two. And for so many people who, and it, this wasn't out of malice or anything, it was just a, you know, a reality yeah, it's of probably resources. Probably a lack of resources. Yeah, yeah it's a reality yeah. of resources that they don't have this. But for most people that are in these situations, they don't have that opportunity for maybe a second go. If you're lucky, you do. But this idea of yeah, yeah, this yeah, plan, yeah, you're banking on the fact that pe- like yeah. not to get grim that people are gonna fail, and you know, yeah, like it's, and it's that you'll terrible. be okay, that you'll do a bad job, yeah. and they get help in this way. So this simple idea that you can take your health card, and in the literature here, Ontarians would gain access to publicly funded counseling and psychotherapy yeah. is. A huge step because right now, if you want free counseling, there's usually a wait time of five to six months, depending on the service, if you don't want to pay anything, in my experiences. If you want free psychotherapy sessions for something you're dealing with, I deal with pretty intense OCD and, and, and need help with that. The only time I was able to get help here in Ontario is when I started paying, you know, 200 to $300 a session. And I tried the alternative way. So this is a system that is so broken. And this, like, this is kind of what we need to see more, I think in NDP policies generally, no means testing, not anything required of income or age or anything like that. You have your card, you can get the sessions the same way you can get a doctor's visit. Will it still have the same problems? Almost guaranteed. It's very hard to find a family doctor right now in Ontario. I'm sure that this is going to still have a lot of flaws. Yeah, there's no there's no doubt. I mean, like we still have, you know, we have a a public health care system that a lot of Canadians are at times prideful of. But then also we don't have enough beds. And Brampton has one hospital for like 700,000 people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
it, it's busted in so many ways. And I think like something like this, I think will be very hard to criticize. And what I've seen in the last little while that have been really great from the NDP, even if it's not perfect, this, I think if it did happen, would help so many people right away and be a step in creating a society uh, here in Ontario that is just better. Like, this will help me. This will help people I know if this happened. And like you said, this will help a lot of those quote-unquote, you know, middle-class Ontarians that maybe don't care about the same things that ever other people in the NDP do. So having access in this way, I think it's honestly like a slam dunk. I don't see the biggest problems right now. But uh, anyways, let's move from that to what the uh, <laughs> the conservatives are doing old Doug Ford he's oh, finally going to lower uh, gas license check I didn't get my yeah. license checked did you yeah, well, I haven't I, checked I the mail I don't in a while. drive right uh, oh, okay <laughs> yeah but but Brianna did she got uh, she got her 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 driver's uh, license $150 today oh uh, so we're congrats. voting conservative uh, <laughs> we our our votes were purchased uh, so all that talk about, you know, yeah. the mental health yeah. and maybe saving Look, lives man, of Ontarians. Like 150 divided by uh. 75 Doug Ford you know, each. <laughs> so we're vote we're voting Doug. That's a lot of buck of beers. A lot uh, of buck of beers. Yeah, man. no, but like, you know, it's just such a waste of money. I get it. Yeah. And like honestly, some people are gonna love it. Maybe it's good politics. I don't know, but like like that's the kind of thing that like doesn't really change a ton of lives. Most mm -hmm. people that get that 150 aren't going to like, it's not going to change their lives. And for the people that really needed it, we should have just sent them the money, yeah. but it's going to just starve dozens of millions of dollars, hundreds of, I don't know, from the public coffers. It's like yeah. giving everybody like 100 bucks is like a very expensive way to do nothing. Yeah, it, it's so funny how broken of an idea that is, yet there would never be an acceptance from Ford for anything like a UBI or anything like that. Oh, but no, something no. like this. Yeah, something like this is like, oh, yeah, absolutely. Because it, it's a one-time it thing and it's mm -hmm. classified not as a basic income or even like a one-time universal grant or something. It's classified as canceling a fee. So it's like a oh, business man. thing, right? It's it's not I'm giving everybody free money. It's like, oh, we're we're the you know, we're cutting, we're giving we're licenses are on sale this yeah. this time. Yeah. And so, so yeah, hundred yeah. percent. So from there, the other I think bigger Big news that was, came out of the Ford camp this week was the uh, news that he is hoping to cut gas taxes by 5.7 cents a liter, which everyone's very upset about, but only after the election. And I don't know if maybe you remember this, but I thought this was a promise that he made and could have done, you know, in the last four years. But now he's saying, you know, this is something that's going to happen only after there's an election win. So I don't know. Like, this is just... I this mean, that's the height absurd. of cynicism, right? I mean, I wonder yeah. if I don't know if that's going to piss people off because I don't know how closely people are paying attention. But I feel like that's the kind of policy that certainly appeals to like the Fordian type voters, whether yeah. it's like the the suburban types who drive in and out of the city a lot. And maybe like they actually see a real benefit. Like, again, I don't drive Bree like we, we, we live pretty close to work and daycare and all of that. So we don't drive a ton. So, like, you know, gas prices maybe don't affect us very much. But if you have to drive, say, 45 minutes an hour every day, five days a week just for work, not to mention other things, then, you know, these sorts of things might have a material effect on your life. Um, 
and so I get why Ford is doing it. And again, uh, you know, it's the it's the conservative way of of, of social spending, right? Like mm-hmm. in some ways, in a perverse way. Uh, you know, no one ever asks how you're going to pay for it when you cut taxes or just you know cut uh, licensing fees. But people always ask if you do if you you, know, you spend new money, quote unquote. Even though a cut to the gas tax is spending money. This is why this is why whenever they do budget analyses, the NDP are projected to run the smallest deficits because they actually <laughs> cover some of their spending uh, yeah. with with tax increases, right? And and mm-hmm. and all of that. But um, I don't know. It's really cynical. It's really cynical to wait till after the election. I don't think think there's a reason. I mean, look, if you're gonna, and, and do you think people I, notice that? Like, do you think that ma- that part of it matters to I don't know. anyone? I don't know. I mean, maybe maybe it'll piss people off. I don't know. I mean, like, yeah. look, the way you do these things generally is you do them right before the election, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, you like 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 giving people 150 bucks. Like, you do that right before the election. Doug Ford just sent the vast. Like, I don't know how. Like, I don't know if there's like what it took to get it or whatnot. But is it everyone that drives? Like, I don't know, right? Like, um, uh, yeah, I think it's everyone that has you know the license plate sticker that that had to you know, pay for it because they, you know, what's it called? They didn't because they were messing up. So they were going to give you uh, that little rebate. Right. I, I believe that's what it was. Yeah. So like, you know, like that's that's like, you know, something you just you give to, you know, millions of Ontarians. I'm just going to assume. Right. Um, you know, the federal liberals did that, too, where they gave like a special payment out to seniors. Remember? They gave mm-hmm. a they gave a special one time supplement oh, right before the election, right too, before wasn't the that? election, right? And so you know, I feel it's weird. Like mm-hmm. I feel that's weird. Like you know, because you have a majority government. This is not you know you're not the liberals or the NDP saying as soon as we get elected because they can't implement a policy right now, right? Like the NDP mm-hmm. can't implement. Yeah, mental care uh, right now, and this is not a big complex program. It's a simple cut of the tax and you'd be doing it in July. It's not like you're waiting until 2023 or something. So I think it's pretty <sighs> cynical, but I mean, it's, it's something Doug Ford's going to say, look, the liberals and the NDP want to raise your taxes and take your freedom. And if you elect me again, I'm going to continue doing what I do. And the first thing I'm going to do when I'm reelected is cut the gas tax. So maybe that's like, you know, his, uh, to preserve it as a platform piece. You know, because yeah. maybe, 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 maybe he feels and maybe, maybe he's right. I don't know that even if you just did it now, people are already going to forget about it at the election. Like, what have you done for <laughs> me lately? And so he's like, well, you might as well leave it till July. Yeah, it's a talking point. He can keep yeah. hitting it on the head. They're going to raise taxes. You know, we are, are going to lower them. And, and because gas is at an all time high, I think it will have an impact. I believe this is coming out today, even as of recording that, oh, imagine that they plan to raise the minimum wage by 50 cents in the fall after the provincial election. Like just so many of these cynical turns after we've seen the truly criminal things that this fucking guy has done during the pandemic. Like you talked about Brampton at the beginning of this episode, the choices that he and Christine Elliott, who does not deserve a pat on the back made very early on in the pandemic, absolutely led to the deaths of Ontarians that did not need to die, often for very malicious reasons like the optics or who was talking in his ear when it came to lobbyists. Like it was a huge expose last year about that. Like this is not someone who is fit 
for this sort of office. And I, I just wonder, like, if this is bleeding into any of the actual polling here. I know you have some polls. You always got some polls up your sleeve. What is the Ontario election looking like uh, right now at last look? I mean, it's looking real good for Ford. Like, it's looking real good. I, I don't get it, Christo. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, let, let's talk about it. What, what yeah. does it say? Well, I mean, there's there's a couple factors. There's, like, the actual raw numbers, like, uh, of, like, voting intention. And then there's mm-hmm. the, um, there yeah, there's the actual raw numbers of voting intention. And then there's the, the um, like, the seat projections. And so mm-hmm. I... I'm looking at 338. I don't think there's been a ton of super recent polls, but these are all polls from the last few weeks, and they all show a conservative lead. At the low end, about six points, but as high as 14. So let's just, you know, like, let's say they're up a healthy amount. And the Liberals and the NDP are more or less tied, frankly. Uh, In Mm. some polls, the NDP are up by a couple. uh, You know, the Liberals are ahead in, in... three of the four, but the NDP have a larger lead in the one they're leading. But basically what you have right now is the NDP and the Liberals both in the mid-20s and the Conservatives in the high 30s. In particular, what the um, what the, uh, the uh, 338 is projecting is that the Conservatives will win another majority. They're only going to lose about a couple seats. And the Jeez. main movement will that the, Liber- the NDP remains in second, but losing uh, 14 seats... Uh, mostly to the the liberals. So the liberals will it'll be it'll be it would be seventy four conservative, twenty six ONDP, twenty three liberal, one green. So this I'm, is a I'm real assuming. ABC election. How many years did we have the yeah. liberals saying you can't vote NDP because it's yeah. gonna you know hurt us? Like, where, are we gonna hear that again? I wonder if that'll be in. Well, the any liberals are gonna argue that while this projection has us lower, we have a quote unquote higher ceiling, and the NDP, of course, are gonna make the argument that. Uh, you know, we're, we're effectively tied in the numbers right now. But what we know is we only need to gain about 10 or so seats, uh, you know, depending 10 to 15 seats to form a minority government. Uh, whereas the liberals need to go from, uh, you know, below party status all the way to, you know, uh, you know, they yeah. need to gain about 40 or 50 seats. Um, and so uh, I don't know what's going to happen. One thing's for sure is that there's going to be some consolidation of the ABC mm-hmm. vote. Right. At some yeah. point. But the question is going to be, uh, how does that coalesce? How strongly and how does the what's the efficiency of that coalesced vote? And it depends on the polling, because if, for instance, this one poll that has the concern and this is the most recent one by Legier, and Legier is often seen as a good pollster um, that, that, you know, 338 gives them an A plus rating. They're they're often quite accurate. Uh, has them the liberals and the NDP effectively tied twenty four NDP twenty five liberal five green, uh, and then thirty nine conservative. It'd mm-hmm. be really hard. It'd be really hard for mm-hmm. either of those two parties to really coalesce. I mean, even if you go back to twenty fourteen, uh, where the liberals won a majority government, the NDP in that election, um, the N- ONDP in twenty fourteen, got. Um, about uh, 23-24% of the vote. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. You know, the fact of the matter oh is that like the NDP is, 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 is in a good position right now relative to those numbers and the Liberals even in um, in, in, tw- in 2018 got about 19-20% of the vote. 
Mm-hmm. And so I don't know what each party's floor is, right? Like, do you know what yeah. I mean? Like, the yeah, end, where are they like, going to go there? There's, there's strategic mm-hmm. voters, but like, what are the, the ONDP, like, how far are they going to fall? I don't know. I don't think they're going to go super low. And the liberals in that last election went down to about 19 and a half. Are they really, they lost about half their vote, but are they really going to go that much further down from there? And we have to mm-hmm. remember in that election, and this is an uncomfortable truth, the the way it worked was that the liberals and the NDP, the liberals and the uh, the NDP and the conservatives basically split the gains of that election. So the the Greens lost about a quarter of a percent in the popular vote, but it didn't matter because they they won their first seat, right? The yeah. liberals lost nineteen percentage points. In the vote. Jesus, yeah. The the conservatives and the NDP split those gains effectively. The conservatives gaining 9.25, the NDP 9.84. So in effect, the liberal vote, half the liberal voters left the liberals for Ford. And half the liberal voters left the liberals for the NDP. And so the Mm -hmm. question is now, not only like, uh, is there going to be a consolidation? Can Del Duca get those 9% of people back that voted for Ford only four years ago, right? Mm -hmm. Because that's the thing. Everyone often says, you know, you got to vote strategically. But the reality is like like half the liberal vote left for the conservatives, right? (laughs) And, And the reasoning for them to come back, could it just be that Ford has been this repugnant? Or is that clearly not, you know, we have no indication that that has uh, pushed those voters back well, into the liberal camp, right? Well, I mean, we have to look at, like, it depends on what the poll, like, if which poll's most accurate and all of that. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, if we look at this, like, the most recent ones, like, the the most recent ones have all, are all actually pretty consistent with, you know, conservatives in the high 30s, meaning that if they, if they, if they end with about that amount, the conservatives, they, they will lose anywhere from, say, two to four points, and so given that they're looking at this, it looks like some the liberals are gaining some of their vote share back from the NDP and from the the those those conservatives, maybe. But mm-hmm. no, they're not getting them all back because if, if if the liberals were able to capture all of their 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 their, you know, Ford switchers, then Ford would be down almost you know, eight, nine percent, let's say. And he's not right. Like, I mean, mm-hmm. in the in the worst poll that recently, they're down like seven. Right. But yeah, no, just, so far not coming from there. Yeah. yeah so far, mm. I don't know if it's uh, people are happy. COVID's done, even though COVID's not done. Uh, maybe uh, people uh, often people like to balance their governments. And so mm. maybe people think, oh, we got a federal government that's a liberal government. Maybe we should stick with the conservatives. I don't know, but right now, um, you know, you think about it, everyone thought Ford really fucked it up over the last four years, and he has, but if Legere's to be believed, um, his votes, his vote percentage is almost identical. It's within, it's within the margin of error. He's not doing Man. better, but he's, he's, kept, he's kept most of his vote, uh, you know, maybe, or any voters he's lost for whatever reason, he's replaced from somewhere else. Yeah, so even if... 
yeah. things do slide. And there has been a lot of talk, obviously, because of what happened federally, of maybe even in Ontario, something that's more of an official, you know, coalition or more than just an agreement to ensure that Ford doesn't have that majority. From what you're saying here and how the numbers are looking at this point, there's even a good chance that if, you know, either of the uh, the minor parties made that choice, it, they wouldn't be able to. Like the numbers still won't suss it out, maybe. Well, yeah, it's hard to say exactly where you need to be. I mean, right now, if you look at the projection... I should say, though, do you think that either of those governments, Del Duca or Horvath, would be willing to do something like that with with their opponent? Now, at least both of them, I think, have said that they would not allow the conservatives to govern in a minority situation. Who knows if they're lying or not? My instinct is that Horvath would be willing to make a deal, maybe something analogous to the federal one. Del Duca, probably less so, especially yeah. if he's in third. But maybe if he's in if he's in, if he's he's in in second, would be willing to make a deal with Horwath. He's got time. He's just starting up. Like yeah. he, can, he can be a, a politician for the next 10, 15 years here yeah. for the liberals, whereas I mean, Horvath well, maybe doesn't have that option. Well, I don't know. I think Del Duca, like the liberals, he might he might still get turfed if they, who, who knows? The point, oh, yeah. <laughs> it, the point is, it'll it'll depend on a lot of factors. Maybe if he becomes leader of the opposition again, he'll be allowed mm. to stick. I, I don't know. The, the But the point is, yeah, at this stage right now, it looks like Ford is is pretty close. Again, the if you look at these polling here, the the majority uh, numbers, the, basically the threshold for a majority in Ontario is in the low 60s, and this projection has the conservative range going anywhere from 52 to 90, capping at around 74. Right, like mm-hmm. basically status quo for the conservatives. So they have about a 10-ish seat buffer on a majority if you go by the midpoint. Um, and yeah. so you need six, they have an 11, they would have an 11 seat buffer because they would have, they would have 74 seats. You need 63 for a majority, uh, in Ontario. And so mm-hmm. right now there's not a path right now The the, you know, the liberals and the NDP and the one green seat here add up to about, uh, 50 seats. So Man, they, and yeah. if he, how, how, what does he have to do at this point? Right. Yeah. Like, I mean, what does he have to matter? do? Campaigns yeah. matter. Yeah. Um, and, and one thing that we're not calculating here for is that if votes consolidate, it not only brings one party closer to the conservatives, but it also changes the electoral math. Mm. I mean, one factor that might matter is that where where votes coalesce. I mean, the liberals, um, if they gain some strength, might eat into the 905. That's a potential. Uh, yeah. And, it, you know, it could be the case that one of the things that leads to a minority is... Uh, you know, the NDP and the Liberals both being strong where they're historically strong. And that leads to a minority parliament where, for instance, the Liberals can pick up some gains in suburbia and the NDP can hold off the Conservatives in other places. And that leaves, uh, you know, a relative, a, a, a conservative victory, but maybe in the 50s uh, and an evenly split or roughly evenly split NDP Liberal vote uh, in, in terms of votes and seats. But right now, that's not manifesting, right? Like right now, mm-hmm. the the tie between the NDP and the Liberals is not leading to a vote split that that benefits that 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 creates a minority government. Uh, whether it's because the Liberals aren't quite strong enough in the nine oh five at their current polling, that might be a factor, right? That the mm-hmm. Liberals in uh, you know polling in the mid twenties just don't have that magic efficiency to get the suburbia vote, right? It just that might not be there. 
Yeah, and you know, I think we should. I don't know because we have another big story I do want to talk about that is just wild. But the efforts of these more progressive parties to like get their their hooks into the rural areas of the province like it's just it's it doesn't seem to be happening on mass like is it just are these just the numbers of Ontario like is it just that kind of like in in Toronto in many days like uh, in many ways municipally like there are just some realities are the realities of on the Ontario makeup is that there are just more people who are conservative who are just generally conservative and and like you said there's base there's ceilings and there's bases and like i don't know if you can do some math real quick in your head here christo but is that just possibly like a reality that that we're seeing in this province that we have seen in other provinces obviously here in canada is that perhaps just the case here now as well i i don't think so right for a couple at least mathematically yeah okay well because for a couple reasons one thing is that in general uh, Ontario mirrors federal politics pretty well, mm. right? It, 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 in a way, a lot of provinces don't for a couple reasons. We generally have the same parties federally in Ontario. We have, you know, the Conservatives, the the, the Liberals, the NDP, and the Greens. And, you know, technically the federal and, pro, and provincial Conservatives and the federal and provincial Liberals and stuff in the federal they're not like affiliated parties like the ndp yeah. is but like they're they're you know they're, they they share some similarities and so um it's not like some provinces where you like you know uh there's four parties federally but it's effectively a two-party system provincially right mm-hmm. like you know like i say in alberta where right now it's a two-party system right like you yeah. know like or or saskatchewan where there's like the sask party and nothing like that exists federally or you know the NDP being the 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 non-conservative party in Manitoba, whereas federally, and there are some Manitoba liberal seats, but federally, the there there are there are more liberal voters than there are provincial liberal voters. Do things like that, right? Um, mm-hmm. Ontario seems to mirror the federal really well, and another factor on that is the amount of seats. Ontario basically has the same amount of seats in the in Queens Park as they do in Parliament. Most provinces have mm. more seats in their legislature than they do, um, you know, federally, right? Like, you know, New Brunswick only has like, you know, a dozen or so, I think maybe 10, 12 seats in parliament, but they have like 50 seats in the legislature, right? And so your mm-hmm. ridings are going to be very different. You know, PEI has, I think, like a couple dozen people in their legislature, but they only have like four federal seats. So by definition, your ridings are going to be smaller and may reflect different constituencies and may lead to a more quote unquote liberal conservative progressive map uh, than, than, than the federal one does simply by the, the math of the ridings. We don't have gerrymandering in Canada. You know, it's, yeah. it's, it's nonpartisan, but like, you know, the way the ridings lay out, if given how many ridings you're allowed to create changes things in Ontario, that's not so much a thing. And we have to remember that we literally just had a federal election, Right. You know, mm-hmm. Ontario federal election results, you know, uh, where, where the liberals, where the liberals did very well, the liberals did very well. Um, mm-hmm. they were able to, uh, you know, win the vast majority of seats in Ontario. Um, and, um, you know, I, I don't think, you know, uh, the, the conservatives didn't make any, any big gains or anything like that. Right. Yeah. So, Interesting. The, 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 so if, 
there's something, whether it's because Ford is able to portray himself as moderate, whether it's a sense that Ford is able to just play off the fact that there's a federal liberal government and he's there to be the kind of, you know, counterbalance. I'm not sure. But right now, like you, you are in a situation where like, uh, you know, Trudeau um, was able to win a bunch of seats. Like, like if you look here uh, in the 2021 election federally, the liberals got 39% of the vote and the conservatives got 34, 35% of the vote. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And the seat layouts, there's 121 seats federally and there's 124 provincially. So it's, it's very close. They, they, there's a couple, we have a couple extra seats in the North, I think to help address uh, indigenous uh, uh, representation, which is great, but effectively the, the, the ridings are, are almost the same. Kingston, uh, in the islands is almost entirely the same um, federally mm. and provincially. I think it is identical uh, in what they represent. So if you can win in Ontario federally, you can do it provincially. And so for whatever reason, if you look at these numbers, what you're seeing is that the NDP uh, does did quite a bit worse than its provincial the Liberals did a lot better. The Conservatives did a little bit worse. So it could be that some of these Liberal voters at the 39% here are planning to vote Conservative. Hmm. You have the People's wow, Party damn. here too. They kind of throw, but yeah, that true blue, I think that maybe they cancel each other out. Who knows? But like, that's the reality. Some people who voted for Trudeau are likely going to vote for Ford. And maybe some people who voted for Singh are going to vote for Ford. I don't know. It seems less likely, but like, that's like, that's what you're looking at because again, it's the same ridings uh, and mm-hmm. Ford, the Aaron O'Toole could get, got about 35% and Ford is projected to get, uh, you know, uh, better than that. Man. So it really, we, we sometimes have to remember that not everyone are the politics sickos that you and I, and perhaps those listening are right. That when it comes to voting provincially, like there are people and this may sound crazy to y'all listening, but there are people who will do exactly what you're saying. Christo, they're like, you know what? We gave Trudeau a chance federally. Let's go with Ford again. If I'm going to vote. Yeah, that makes, there's almost like a feeling of fairness to that. Right. And in some kind of kind of twisted way, which I think we would all agree is probably not the best idea to uh, em- empower government to take control of a province. Like, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, that yeah. seems a little wild. But, th- but like, for whatever the reason, like, that's what we're looking at right now. And maybe it's the case that they think Trudeau is an effective leader. It could be the case that they feel Ford deserves another chance. I don't know. But right now, if the election was to be today, Ford would win and almost certainly win another majority. Um, and we'll have to see how the campaign actually pans out. Yeah. As you did say, campaigns do have an impact. The NDP are coming out really strong to begin with. Ford is coming out very cynical and I think almost like laughable in some ways because of exactly what you said that it's planned right after they win, despite the fact that he could have done, could do this at any time. Like I do wonder if that has an impact. There is also this unfortunate looming reality of the next wave of COVID, which we never, you know, like to talk about and Ford just accepting and getting rid of mask mandates here, you know, that could really blow up in his face and the people that we'd be in at the expense, of course, are Ontarians because now we're sick and not, 
you know, uh, taken care of. But, you know, we can't assume that that won't have an effect if something like that does happen. Yeah. Yep. Alrighty, yeah, let's. Yeah. Uh, we got about five, well, a little bit of time left. I want to quickly do a uh, quick question from the audience, uh, our, our wonderful audience that joined us here on Discord. You can become a part of them. Patreon.com/slash Left Turn Canada. One dollar a month or ten bucks for the whole year. Very very minimal. And this question is for both of us, Christo from V Mars, that asks each of us if you could propose one concrete policy change in Canada and it would immediately become law, what would it be and why? So I've had a little bit of time to think about this and and earnestly from what we saw from CERB, I believe that if we had a comprehensive UBI program, something as simple as two grand a month for every Canadian. It doesn't matter what you make. It doesn't matter if you have uh, disability coming in. You just a guarantee that you get these vouchers because we live in a capitalist society and you need these vouchers to survive along with some very strong protections to ensure that there isn't predatory behavior from landlords, from, you know, the the, the uh, uh, manufacturing sectors around our lives that can sense we have a little more money and try to take advantage I truly believe that it would make so many people's lives better almost immediately. And I think we've seen that it can work here in Canada because for many people, it was needed during the time when you could not work in Serb and it gave people this opportunity. So for me, that's got to be my uh, number one. I would change it tomorrow. Christo, any ideas of what you want to change here in Canada policy wise? I mean, that's a great one, right? And I think I chose like, a good one. I yeah, stole like it. <laughs> healthcare would be a big one, you know, like they get all those healthcare plans. I mean, one that I, I think I would do because I don't think it's going to get done otherwise would be just like electoral form, like implement proportional Boom. representation, Very uh, good. which I do think is, is, is as value in and of itself, but also at least I think makes it more likely that we get more of the things we want done. Uh, and I think that it'll lead to a more functional democracy. So I would implement likely a system of mixed member proportional, you know, which we've talked about basically making it so that you keep your existing ridings, although your riding might get a little bit bigger. And then you add additional regional MPs, which are elected proportionally to balance out uh, the the flaws of the first past the post system. So you keep the benefits of first past the post, which is you still fundamentally have an MP you can go yell at, uh, but <laughs> you get... Um, you get uh, proportionality as well. Uh, that would be, I think, if I could make one, and also that's like, I think it's a simple change. You know, it is. Yeah. It's a simple one, right? Like, like I just, I, you know, that's that probably be, that might be it. That might be it. If I could just but do Christo, one one Christo, standalone bill. Come on, man. PP that would put the PPC. Some of those people would get seats. They, we can well, they, never do that. They might get seats. You know, I would like likely set it at a. A modest five percent threshold. Yeah, you know okay. most countries in Europe. I I don't know what, they, but some have it as low as three. Probably somewhere to three to five percent. Um, you know threshold. Uh, so yeah, the PPC would probably would win some seats. Uh, and uh, that's 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 the reality. That's but, Paul, that's know, democracy, right? Yeah, it's like, democracy, right? And and like this idea that we're gonna keep extremists out with first past the post. I don't know. Maybe that maybe that was true at some point in Canadian history. Who knows? But the fact is, right now, uh, you know, conservative MPs all elected under first past the post, um, you know, uh, are are were aligning with the convoyers, 
And yeah. I don't know if I would class some of Pierre Pierre uh, Pierre Polyevre's views. Not all of them are, are extreme, but some of them are quite extreme. And you know, he's I think right now cruising to a win, and then he'll mm-hmm. have control of his party. And then with you know thirty five to forty percent of the vote, depending on the luck of the draw with efficiency, could make him prime minister, where yeah. he'd have total control of his party. And all of that's under first past the post under a proportional system. Even in a pretty successful right-wing election, you might have a situation where the Conservatives get 35, maybe 40% of the vote, and maybe the PPC even gets 6 or 7%. That even, even in that dream scenario, maybe, that, well, that still leaves them you know, in the mid-40s. That, that doesn't necessarily give them a majority of the seats. You know, the, ND, the other parties could, could, could corral them. And you know, I, I don't know if the, you know, if the Conservatives push 40, is that possible with the PPC? being a strong party or does that require them cannibalizing the PPC, especially uh, given that if COVID isn't a major issue in the next federal election, then like does the PPC have a differentiation? And one, I think risk to the PPC is that um, Polyevra is actually quite popular with their base. There is Mm. a risk that, you know, a lot of them could, could leave the PPC if he becomes conservative leader or they might leave early to help make him conservative mm. yeah if we if we don't have that covid issue like that was really well yeah that's what the caused them to spike I, i'm not yeah. saying the ppc couldn't have had a, a successful election running on some other bullshit but clearly they you know they, they got some excitement that first election they were on all the debate stages if you remember uh maxime bernier was still technically an mp because he had you know left his own crossed the floor to his own new party and then got walloped in his riding and then we all kind of yeah. forgot about the PPC more or less, right? They, they, mm-hmm. they, they, like everyone's like, well, they'll probably die now. And then COVID came, and that was their issue. And they, yeah. they, they were the, the only the NDP increased their vote total, yeah, but, but, but by a very small amount. The PPC, you know, more than doubled their vote. I think it was a significant increase. Um, mm-hmm. And so um, with with COVID not being the defining issue of the next federal election, almost certainly this provincial one, it'll be an issue. But we're not going to, you know, if this deal holds, we're not going to have a federal election for three years. I mean, unless yeah. we're dealing with COVID-20, um, uh, you know, <laughs> very good. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, I don't know. I don't know. But oh, yeah. Man. Electoral reform. Boom. I like it. That was a very good question there, VMARS. Uh, We're over time. I just want to very quickly say that, as we recall, during the convoy, when for like two weeks, some of the worst people just terrorized those who were living in the downtown Ottawa Square, where there was absolute credible threats of real violence, sexual assaults happened, almost a firebomb. Wouldn't you know it at a, an Ontario Superior Court uh, responded class action lawsuit um, respondents to uh, this week. News came out that absolutely one of the key protesters, one of the earliest protesters had direct contact with an Ottawa police constable saying things like during text, I'll have a definitive plan for you tomorrow morning. The protest organizer then saying that he was so happy that the police 
and organizers could work together. The police saying absolutely. The police then asking if they could start at a different time. And there's reports as well from this that they were going to secure the area for this to happen. So for a lot of you listening, it's like, yeah, of course that happened. But just for this to officially be put into you know the record uh, of note that police officers did work together at the beginning with this protest that I think really unified Canadians by the end, even many conservatives, that it was wrong and needed to stop. You know, as others have said, that is something we cannot forget. And I think, you know, those proponents of uh, police safety and and kind of blood and soil sort of things will try to make you forget it. But man, it is I, I didn't think it would be that direct, you know, where you would just, you know, message your your a cop that you know and make sure that everything is set up. Considering what we fucking saw in Toronto where there are people, you know, trying to help those experiencing homelessness and just getting the shit beat yeah, out of them. Yeah, those homeless people definitely weren't like having cop friends being like let no. me know yeah, yeah. No. Like no. it's just I don't know, anything on that. Like it's just, it, I think a lot of people again or like, yeah, of course, Andy. Like, why are you? Yeah, even but you need to see these things, right? Because, yeah. like, look, you need to see these things, and like, normies need to see it. And it was in mainstream reporting, and like, I don't know mm-hmm. if anything's going to change because of it. Uh, maybe it will. Uh, there'll probably be a lot more local scrutiny. I don't think that's going to be the thing that gets us the, you know, the defund the police movement to become truly mainstream or anything like that. But like, it's a big deal. It's a big deal. Yeah. yeah. Alrighty, let's leave you with that. Hopefully, we don't have uh, God Emperor Ford for the next, I don't know, couple decades. He's got a daughter that is pretty crazy, so she might get into politics too. So who knows? This could be a reality here in Ontario for a while, folks. So we'll, uh, we'll talk to you next week.